Are there any seniors here today? I'm not senior adults. I have to say seniors and be thinking high school. Senior adults. Hey, I got to praise this morning. We have a long holiday weekend, and we live in a country that we can come and worship our Lord freely. And I think that's worth celebrating. What do you think? My name's Steve Ross, and I am the senior adult pastor, and uh, I'm also a retired 39-year veteran of the fire service. <laughs> Thank you. I had the privilege of serving 33 years for the city of Amarillo, and the last 15 years there, I was the fire chief, and, and then I served six years here at Haltom City before the Lord called me to go to seminary. And uh, last week, my favorite thing is to stand out at the door and say hi to everybody. So I see everybody in here and I see your face. So I love to just visit and talk to everybody at the door. Well, there were two Saginaw fire trucks screaming down the street. And I thought, you know what? I miss that. That would, that would be a lot of fun to get on there and hop on the truck with the guys and join the fight. But, uh, you know, those guys that were going to that fire, their, their mission, their purpose is to preserve life and property. You know, firefighters, we want to make a difference. Everybody in public safety, everybody that exists for the purpose of preserving the lives and property of other people, you know, they, fire, police, EMS, our military, they defend those that can't defend themselves. And uh, those guys in that fire truck run that light and siren, and they, they don't do it just because they get a kick out of pulling up behind you and honking the horn and scaring everybody. We have a time issue in the fire service because we, can't, we have to intervene. We have to get there in a hurry to make a difference. And that's why we put fire stations geographically within the community. They're within four minutes of each other, theoretically. I mean, if you do the math, you you can only live six minutes without oxygen. So we got a minute to turn, to hear the call, a minute to turn out, four minutes to get there. We're right on the edge if everything goes perfect. So that's why the fire stations are located where they are and why we have lights and sirens and air horns and we go in such a big hurry. And uh, the longer it takes us to get there, the bigger the fire gets, the less chance of survival for anybody or the ability for us to rescue anybody and the more hazardous it is for the firefighters. You know, to be a firefighter in Amarillo, you had to go to a nine-month academy. And uh, after that nine-month academy, it takes two years to be a paramedic. So you're into this thing. I mean, it, you have to have an education to be a professional firefighter, to get on that fire truck and do what they do. They probably would kick me off now and just say, Grandpa, go somewhere else. But, uh, but you know, I graduated from the academy. I'm not going to tell you what year. No, it wasn't horses, and it wasn't a steamer, but, uh, but it was in the 70s. And, uh, you know, I thought I was it. I thought I had everything. You know, it's like that's where my real education really began. You know, I'm like, here I am to save the day. Okay, everybody, everybody over 60, explain to everybody under 60 who Mighty Mouse is. 
because I know they don't know. But uh, my humbling began because I just walked in the station my very first shift. I out of rookie school, ready to go, knew everything, and they rang out a structure fire. So I run out there and I'm putting my gear on. And back in those days, we rode on what was called the tailboard, the back of the fire truck. You see the firemen hanging off the back. Not the best thing in the world, but that's just the way we, we did it back when. And you're trying to get dressed and you got your arm hooked on there. Well, I was going to get dressed and get on the truck. Well, it doesn't work that way. They start the truck and off they go. So you're hanging on, hoping that your gloves didn't fall out in the road or your helmet didn't fall off. And you're trying to get all and you're bouncing down the street and the lights and sirens and all the excitement. And, man, I thought, that is so cool. They're actually going to pay me to do this. You know, if they'd fired me, I'd probably showed up a couple of days just to see if they were serious. It was really, really cool. Well, we get there, we turn the corner, and there's smoke bellowing out of this house, and you can see fire. And the captain points at me, and he says, you grab hold to his coattail and you go where he goes and you do what he does. I just got a rookie school, man. I don't need to be. I'm here to save the day. So we pull up fire hose. We go in the house. You know when they put water in those hoses, they get heavy and they get stiff. You make one corner and you turn and you can't go any farther. So you have to go back to the door, and there's somebody on the front porch feeding hose. If you watch the news at night, watch them. There's people trying to feed this hose it's, because they're at 150 pounds pressure on this fire hose, and it's stiff, and it's heavy. So you're working really, really hard, and then you go in there. I cannot see a thing. I know for a fact that Gage and DeSoto, back in the day, they could see everything because I saw it, but that's not reality. That, again, is an old show from the 70s that were probably who we aspired to be. You cannot see anything when, when, you, when you go in these, in these fires. All of a sudden, this cocky young fireman is wanting to grab the coattail of that senior hoseman because I'm going, I may not survive this. You got your nose on the ground. It is really hot. You get as close to the ground as you can because bad things happen up here in a fire. You want to be down there. So you're dragging this hose. You're going, but you use your senses. You can hear it. You can't see it, but you can hear it. You can hear it, and you can go into a room that's fully involved, and all you'll see is a glow through the smoke. You just see a glow. So you go towards that glow. I was thought I could see a little bit until Jim opened the nozzle and that water hit that fire and it turned to steam and it got real hot then. Then you cannot see anything. The other crews searched the house. We didn't find any victims. And then the real work started. You take these pike poles, these long sticks with hooks, and you have to pull all the ceilings and walls anywhere that the fire could have extended. And then you have to throw covers over all the furniture and everything. We scoot them all the center of the room, cover them up so that everybody's property is protected. And then you take a shovel and you shovel all the fire and ashes and everything out in the yard. And it's called overhaul. And that's hot, smoky work. After the fire is over, we go back to the fire station and a time-honored tradition in the fire service is anytime you do anything for the very first time, you get to buy ice cream. And I'm not talking Blue Bunny. I'm talking Blue Bell. 
You know, first couple of months, I don't think I made a dime because every shift I would show up. It was the first time that I made a car fire. It was the first time that I got to clean a toilet. It was the first time that... And I finally caught on to this, and I quit buying ice cream. But, uh, you know, my pride and arrogance, I thought I, I was not seeing myself correctly. You know, I didn't see myself correctly, and I didn't see my mentor correctly. And I put myself in harm's way because of that. I had to see him correctly, humble myself, and then strive to be like him. And, you know, our relationship with the Lord is like that. You know, we think we have all the answers to life until we don't. And, you know, then we need to grab a hold to the Lord's coattail and understand our limitations, hum- humble ourselves, and follow him. And that's how we prosper. That's how we survive. David found himself in a very similar situation. Today we're going to be in Psalms 34. Pastor Bard asked us, he said, hey, this summer I want you guys to take your favorite psalm and go talk to everybody about it. Well, this is a fireman's psalm. It's a psalm about how God rescued David and how God will rescue us. We have a God that loves to rescue us. So this is a fireman's psalm. David's situational awareness was wrong. He wasn't seeing things correctly. Situational awareness in our business, in the fire business, is what keeps us alive. It's when you see things accurately. You have all these different pieces on a fire ground working, and they have to communicate so that you have the same picture in your head. If you're seeing it wrong, it can become hazardous. It's called situational awareness. So you have to maintain that. David didn't see himself correctly, but God rescued him anyway. Psalms 34 is divided into two parts. It's 22 verses. The first 10, 1 through 10, is a hymn. It's a personal song that David is singing to God, how God had rescued him. He had seen himself wrong, and now he rescued him. 11 through 22 is instructional. It's a sermon. It's for the people that were with David at the time. It was for the nation of Israel, and it's for us. It's a sermon to the community for people that desperately need to be rescued. It's an acrostic poem, which means that the first letter of every verse successively begins with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It was written that way by David so that they could memorize it. That psalm was written for times when we all need help and we all need deliverance. David wrote it as a memorial to a desperate time that he experienced. We know that in Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 13, that uh, the prophet Samuel appointed David to be king of Israel. He anointed him to be king. During this period, David, you remember the story of uh, Goliath, that David slew the giant. He became a national hero. David, they would sing songs about Saul, and they would say Saul slew his thousand, and David slew his ten thousands. You know, David had known that he had been anointed king, but this was a time of testing. It would be 15 years before David would actually sit on the throne of Judah, and then seven more years before he became the king of a united Israel and Judah. 22 years total, a time of testing, because he wasn't ready. 
We see ourselves as ready, but David needed a time of testing to get ready. David's was so popular, he was a national hero, that the king, King Saul, became jealous. He got so jealous that he wanted David dead. David had to flee. We pick up our story in 1 Samuel 21, and it tells that David fled to a city called Nob, where he was met by a priest called Ahimelech. He ate from the holy bread because he was hungry, which is not a really good thing to do. David gives me hope because he did some not-so-bright things. That gives me hope because sometimes I do some not-so-bright things. He didn't have any way to protect himself. See, he wasn't seeing himself correctly. He, He found the sword of Goliath. This sword was four times the size of a normal sword. This sword was massive. So he takes his sword with him and he flees to a Philistine city called Gath where he's brought before the king. Think about it. Gath is a city where Goliath was born. David goes and gets the sword that he used to kill the national hero of the Philistine and goes to the city where he was born. not a great move well he's in big trouble well he's in front of the king he's called Abimelech which is like our president or it's a title the mayor it's what it means the son of the king well this particular king is called Ashkish and David to save his skin he feigns insanity he scratches at the gate and he slobbers all down his beard and he puts on quite a show and the king looks at that and says why are you bothering me with this guy? He said, then there are enough crazy people around me without this guy. So David escapes. And he goes to the caves of Abdullam. And with his brothers and 400 fugitives, 400 outlaws, David's sitting in this cold, damp, dim cave. And he begins to sing. Tamid Allah Kole Yehovah Barak. Okay, y'all join in. Pethilah Samak Agna Shama Nafesh Yada Shamae Rom Ath Gadal. Y'all sing with Danny. I saw you sing with Mason. So what's up? Let's do this. Let's do this. Let's read verses 1 through 3 in English. And let's read it together. Come on, make me feel good here. Oh, David, when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Oh, yeah. Worship leader Steve. I don't think Danny's in any trouble, do y'all? Verses 1 through 3, David makes a vow of praise to, and he asks everybody to join in with him. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. That word bless means barak in Hebrew. It means to adore. It means to kneel. 
David will kneel before the Lord at all times. You see, David's pride and arrogance had convinced him that he could save himself and he didn't need the Lord. Does that sound familiar to us? David was reading his own headlines. He's a national hero. Kind of like me before when I first got on that fire truck. I saw myself wrong. David was seeing himself wrong. God had not only rescued him from his enemies, God had rescued him from himself. David realized that his true salvation came from God and he praised him. He kneeled before him and he praised him and he said, you know, I'll boast only in the Lord. He humbled himself for the Lord. How often do we, if we're honest, do we exalt ourselves over him? David said, magnify the Lord. This is my favorite part, by the way. Magnify me. You think God was too small and he needed to be magnified? How many of y'all, when you were kids, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of y'all, when you were kids, took a magnifying glass outside and looked at bugs and looked at ants and stuff and made them look bigger than they really were? All right, and I know the girls wouldn't do this because they're too sweet, but how many of the guys took the magnifying glass and roasted the caterpillars? <laughs> the Hebrew word to magnify means to grow, and the problem was is not that God was too small. The problem was is David was seeing God too small. So what he's saying is we need to see God correctly. We need to see God. He's not a small God. He's a big God. David had reduced God in his mind, and he had blown himself up too largely. He wasn't seeing himself. You know, when we excel in sports, who gets the credit? It's us. Who gets the promotion? It's our hard work and our expertise. When we're successful in life, when we're, we like to take the credit for it. It's me. We excel. And then when we fail, what do we say? How could God let that happen to me? You know, that's exactly what Satan did in the garden to Adam and Eve. He said, is that really what God said? See, they weren't seeing God correctly. They went from seeing this magnificent God that created all this to not seeing him correctly, seeing him too small. Is that really what God said? You know, God may not really be a good thing. He may not be a good God. He just don't want you to be like him. That's the lies of what Satan was saying. You know, David is thinking maybe God's too small to fulfill my promise to make me king. God's ways are much too large sometimes for us to even comprehend. You know, there's God and there's everything that God created. Totally God and then he created everything else. He's above everything else. He's above time and space. He is above and beyond all things. We see like one frame at a time, and God wrote the movie. He sees all times at present. To understand eternal things, we have to think eternally. J.D. Greer said it correctly. He said that, you know, a lot of times what God's doing in your lives, he's doing for you. Like David through his time of testing. To prepare him. Because David must have sat in that cave 
and saw himself correctly. He kneeled, he praised, he boasted, and he magnified the Lord. He saw God in the correct size in his mind. He realized who had actually saved him. How many times do you think in our lives God actually intervened on our behalf? Once, twice, daily, five times, a hundred times? You know, there's an intersection in my neighborhood that the cars are running 60 miles an hour when the light turns red. And the light turned green. I was in a hurry, and I started going, and I got this feeling. We've all done that. And I just put on the brakes and looked, and this rock hauler went zipping through that intersection, and he would have T-boned me. He would have smashed me. This is no slam against rock haulers. That guy was probably going too fast to stop. The point is, how many times has God done that for me? I kneel and I praise and I boast and I magnify him. And now whenever I sing these verses, they mean differently to me. See, the way we see God and who we believe who he is, when we see him correctly, may be one of the biggest decisions we'll make in our life. In the cave of Adullam, David saw God correctly. And when he did, he had to share that story. Verses 4 through 6, he says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those to him, to look to him are radiant and their faces will never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of his troubles. See, David's circumstances hadn't changed. David was still running from Saul. David's sitting in a cave with 400 fugitives. But what changed? David realized he sought the Lord and the Lord answered him. The Bible uses the word radiant and it was a word that the Hebrews were familiar with and it describes a time on the looks of the faces of the Hebrews when they returned to the promised land. Poor man. David used the word poor man. We don't like being humble, but the fact is David's faith is what restored him. It rescued him from his fears. God, Jesus used the same words in Matthew 5, 3, and when he said you have to be poor in spirit. It's a starting point for us. We have to humble ourselves to see God correctly. Poor in spirit means that we have to be totally dependent upon him. We have to see ourselves correctly And when we humble ourselves and see ourselves as filthy rags and sinners before him, we now can see him correctly. But till ever we can do that, we don't see him correctly. We're kind of all caught up in ourselves. Whenever you can do that, David said, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. He rescues them. Oh, taste and see that it's good. Blessed be the man that takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those that fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those that seek the Lord lack no good thing. This word angel of the Lord in Hebrew means messenger. 
It's used 57 times in the Old Testament. This same angel of the Lord spoke with Hagar. You remember Hagar was exiled whenever Sarah became jealous and exiled her. The angel of the Lord came to her and said, I will greatly multiply your descendants. This angel said, I will greatly multiply your descendants. Abraham, he spoke to him and he said, by myself have I sworn, declares the Lord, I will greatly bless you. And with Moses, he said, I am God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the God, is what he said. This angel surrounds those that fear him. As a result, David looked around at 400 fugitives, 400 outlaws, and he said, guys, taste this. See, the Hebrews, whenever God would deliver them or rescue them, they would have a sacrificial meal in remembrance. So that would have struck a note with them. What he was saying is, God rescued me. Come get you some. Listen to me, he said. He said, this is the way to a blessed life. Those that fear the Lord have no lack. These lions that are roaming around out here that will eat us, they're still hungry. They still have issues. But those that fear the Lord lack nothing. This word fear the Lord, we hear that all the time. We go, what does that really mean? Well, the Bible tells us that it's fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord. And I think this is a key thing that we need to listen to. Fear of the Lord means to live in reverence, to live. It's obedience. It's not just talking the talk. It's walking the walk. To live in reverence and respect in God, and seeing him correctly. God is the ultimate. He's the highest. He's the great I am, the only one worthy. Worship, worthy. He's the only one worthy of worship. When we fear the Lord and we trust him and we're obedient to him, we can humbly see ourselves correctly and we can now see him correctly. David gets excited. He says, come, children, listen to me, and I'll teach you how to fear the Lord. So this is really a cool verse right here because he's telling us, he's instructing Israel, he's instructing these 400, he's instructing us on how to have fullness of days. What man is there that desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. David shifts and he's teaching these people See, he had a change of heart in, the, in this cave because of God's rescue. You know, when you get rescued from the Lord, you've got to tell somebody, right? Whenever you're saved, you're going to be telling somebody. So David's telling them, who here desires life and loves many days that he can see good? Who doesn't want fullness of life? He says, let me teach you how. Thomas Gattaker, a famous century, 16th century British pastor, famously said, it's not a matter of how long we live, it's but to live blessed. See, that's the same words that Jesus used, Macarius, blessed are, Macarius. We translate that to mean happy, but I, I really think what it means is we're in the presence of the Lord. We're walking with him. We are blessed. We are with him forever. Fullness of life, fullness of days. David said, fear the Lord. Let me teach you how. 
Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Don't sin. Seek peace and pursue it. What he's really saying is control your tongue. Don't sin and be a peacekeeper. That's how you fear the Lord. That's what he asks of those that love him. See, when we do those things, we have to be humble. Because that's not human nature. That's not what we want to do. But to see God correctly, we have to let God be God. And we have to be servants. Fire service, we have things called standard operating procedures, SOPs. They're time-proven standards. These standards are for the well-being of each and every firefighter. These standards are for the benefit of the fire department so we work as a team, and it's for the citizens so we can save people. These standards keep us safe. These standards are essential to our survival. Those that operate outside of those operating standards they open themselves up to chaos, to fear, to sadness. And what's worse is they open up everybody else around them to the same. You know, we were created for fellowship with God. That's our purpose. That's why we're here is to glorify him. And that's an eternal fellowship with God. He gave us, he gave us, these operating procedures so that we can live fullness of life, so that we can be blessed, so that we can prosper and walk with him. He gave us his word so that we can live the good life. Now it kind of gets hard, and this really breaks my heart, but this is a reality. The eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, his ears towards their cry, the face of the Lord against those that do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. God watches over those that do right, righteous, right with God. That's where the word comes from. When you're righteous, you're right with God, and you're right with God when you humble yourself. You see yourself the way God sees you, Bible says he turns his face against those that do evil and will erase their memory from the earth. That's not a good thing to be erased from the memory, your memory from the earth. God's ears are open to their cries for help. I remember when we brought our kids home from the hospital. They were so small and so helpless, and we were very inexperienced parents. You would lay in bed, and you would listen to those kids in there. Some of you all have been there with me. And when they would cry, we would hop up and we would run in there. Okay, well, Deanna would hop up and run in there. And that's what David's saying. His children, God listens for our cries for help. And as a loving parent, he wants to respond to our needs. And here's where God talks about how the righteous cry for help. The Lord hears and delivers them from all their troubles. Does that mean that if our troubles are just going to presto change or go away? No, but there's nothing that we can't take on that the Lord walking with us that we cannot, he will rescue us from those troubles. The Lord is near the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers out of all. 
The Lord loves to rescue the righteous. He loves to rescue their children. You know, David's surrounded in his cave with 400 fugitives, 400 outlaws. Some of them were there because they were in debt. Some of them were in there because they had addictions. Some of them were in there because they were running from their sins. Some of them were in there because they're estranged by their sin. God hears the voice of the righteous. Bible tells us we just learned that he encamps around the righteous. He protects the righteous. We have no lack if we're righteous before him, if we fear him. You know, that's the real rescue right there. David prayed to the Lord. He humbled himself. He saw himself the way the Lord sees him. God restored his soul. God can restore our soul. There's no afflictions that we can go to that the Lord cannot help us with. So how big is God in your life compared to your troubles? You know, I'm not a counselor. But I've been to a couple of county fairs and been up the river a time or two. I've been around for a while. My experience has been that whenever I'm having issues, a lot of them are self-inflicted, and it's because I'm not seeing the Lord correctly. I'm seeing myself way too big and seeing him way too small to handle my problems. David humbled himself, sought the Lord, broken, poor in spirit, and the Lord saved him. Verse 18 says that God is near the brokenhearted and rescues the crushed in spirit. In 2020... My wife of 42 years, my best friend, Deanna, she went to be with the Lord. And I was crushed. That word crushed in Hebrew means to hammer ore. It means to take a hammer and smash rocks, to crush rocks. Sadly, a lot of us have felt that way. We felt brokenhearted. We've known that feeling. You know, it was a time of testing, and it was a difficult time, and I couldn't do it alone. I'm being honest with you. I could not do that alone. You can't breathe. You feel like you're falling. And she was my confidence. And you lose that. And the Lord answered my prayer. He heard my prayer and he carried me and he comforted me with this right here. And in all honesty, what I realized is the only thing that I really have, the only thing that's eternal is my relationship with him. He surrounded me with the comfort of loving Christian brothers and sisters, and they carried me. He promises in verse 19 that as Christians, we're going to find troubles. But the Lord said in John 16, this is Jesus Christ talking to us. He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Christ has overcome this world. You see... I understand now that the Lord rescued Deanna from this world. She was an alien to this world. She's home now. She's where I want to be. She's where we all want to be is with our Lord. No more trials, no more sorrows. Deanna's in the presence of the Lord forever. I just pray that I fear him correctly and I suffer well till ever he rescues me and takes me home. 
David finishes up the psalm in verses 20 through 22 with introducing a prophecy. He's talking about our souls here. This is talking about rescuing our soul. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. Affliction shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. And the Lord redeems the life of his servants. None of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. That's a strange statement. You're sitting in this cave, and and the king is standing up in front of you, talking to you, and he goes, none of his bones, he keeps all of his bones, none of them will be broken. And they're probably going, well, you know, David's a warrior, and he and he hadn't broke any bones. That's what he's talking about. Scripture tells us in John 19, 36, for these things were done so that Scripture may be fulfilled, not one of his bones shall be broken. He's talking about the suffering servant. He's talking about the coming Messiah. He's talking about God rescuing our very souls. That Jesus would step out of heaven, and God with man, fully God and fully man, and he'll live a perfect life. And he would die a ghastly death on the cross in my place and in place of you. Defeating sin. He died for my sins. He died for your sins. And he imputed his righteousness upon those that believe that. He was buried and God raised him after three days, defeating death. David sadly says, Evil will slay the wicked. Their sins will slay the wicked. They love their sins. And those that hate the righteous will be condemned. Can you imagine being condemned from God? The world stands condemned right now for all of sin and falls short of the glory of God. But in verse 22, David says, The Lord who loves to rescue saves our souls. He says, The Lord redeems the soul. The Lord rescues the soul of his servants. And none that trust in him will be condemned. About 30 years after I made that first fire, I was the fire chief in Amarillo. And a structure fire rang out and I was listening to it and it came out as it was a structure fire with children inside. That's always our worst nightmare. When they arrived, they had heavy smoke and fire, and they called for a second alarm, which notifies all the command staff, so we automatically go and listen. And that's one of those fires as a fire chief that you sit out in your command vehicle and you pray for the safety of your men. Because, see, they could hear that little girl screaming. They needed to come out of that house, but they couldn't come out of the house until they found her. In answer to my prayer, I see this fireman coming out of the front door, and he's carrying this little girl. And he hands her off to another member, and he is so hot that when we're putting water on his coat to cool him off, because he's cooking, those coats are good to 1,300 degrees, and this guy is burning up. So they're putting water on him, and you're trying to get his coat off of him because it's burning him. Did you know that little girl did not have one burn on her? Took her out of that fire, that house so hot that that guy in all of his gear was burning up and she did not have one hair on her hands singed. 
You know, that's a miracle. It's supernatural. And everybody there saw it. It was a gracious and merciful God for that little girl. He saved her life. He rescued her. But that wasn't a miracle. Every fireman there saw that. Everybody on the fire department heard about that. Everybody's family heard about that. I'd like to tell you that everybody that heard about that came to the Lord, but that's probably not true. But I do know that what the true miracle is, is God saved the souls of some firefighters that day. You know, there's nothing cooler in our business than saving somebody, but that was a real rescue. You know, he loved us so much to die on our place on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose defeating death. And if you can see yourself correctly as a sinner, and you can see yourself in need of a Savior, and we turn from our sins, he is faithful to say that if you believe in your heart and profess through the mouth, you will be saved. You know, he's the real chief. He's the real one that really saves our souls. If we can just humble ourselves and see ourselves correctly before him, then we can see him correctly. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this song. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for being our chief. Lord, just forgive us whenever we don't see you correctly. Help us to see ourselves correctly. Help us to see the fact that you love us, that you are the most high, you are the great I am, you are the all-powerful, you are the judge, you are the creator, and in you, we need nothing else but you. And those that fear you, we don't lack anything. You created us to worship you and to have fullness of days and fullness of life. And you gave us the ability to know how to do that. I pray for those today that have issues, for those today that have problems and have struggles and are being persecuted. And we pray, Lord, that they seek you, that you hear them and you answer their prayers, that you walk with them. You walk with the brokenhearted. You were with me and you saved me and you rescued me. I pray for that rescue for them. I pray for those, Lord, that don't have fellowship with you. I pray that they humble their hearts, they see themselves correctly, they turn, and they worship you as their Lord and Savior. We just praise you and thank you, Lord. In the holy, precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray.